This show is part of the Head Stuff Podcast Network. Welcome, gather round the fireside and listen to a tale of Yon McCool, Coo Cullen, Deirdre of the Sorrows, Grawn, your whale. From giants right down to fairies, about the drooping and solitary, and ghosts who are sometimes scary. Anything goes by the fireside. Yeah. Fireside, the Puka Fireside, Mero Fireside. Kings and queens fighting heroes, don't you run from the fun, there's no need to hide. Sit by the fireside. Mm-hmm. Fireside. Hello and welcome to Fireside, the Irish storytelling podcast. Each episode of Fireside, we take a story from folklore or mythology, we retell it, have a chat about the tale itself, and about the craft, the culture, and the history of storytelling. My name is Kevin C. Olihan. I'm your host and your Fireside Bard. Welcome to episode 217 of Fireside. Today on the Irish Storytelling Podcast, we have another one of the pre-tales of the Ulster Cycle, one of the Reimschgela of the Cattle Raid of Cooley. This is a fantastic tale of the Morrigan and the Hound. But first, before we get on to that, a very big welcome to any new and indeed any returning listeners. If this is your very first episode of Fireside, this is actually a great introduction to what we do here. This is a very classic, very typical Fireside content. And if you are a returning listener, as always, thank you so much for your continued support. If you are a new listener and you listen to this and you like it, why don't you head right back through the years, possibly all the way back as far as episode one over four and a half years ago now, and see what we've been building up to on the journey of Fireside. If you want to support the podcast, you can do so in several ways. You can follow me over on Instagram at Fireside Bard. That's the best place to get in contact with me. With me. Share this on your story. Share this with your friends. It's the best way to continue to grow the Fireside brand. And if you're not on social media and you want to have raised any questions, queries, thoughts, comments, anything else, you can email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Um, if you want to support the podcast in a more direct way, you can buy my book, my poetry collection, Garden Sea, a Neomyth of Home, which is available in paperback from the Headstuff website or in from in Kindle version from Amazon. All the links are in the description below and we can send the paperback anywhere around the world. I just sent a couple more off last week, uh, which was fantastic. It's still always my favorite thing to do, to post and send them off and tick off the various countries and states in the US that uh, that the book is going to. And it's a great source of pride uh, for me after the huge labor and passion and love that Garden Sea was to create. So thank you to all of those who continue to buy it. I hope you're enjoying it in the new homes that Garden Sea is being sent to. Um, and the final way is, of course, that you can support the podcast on Headstuff Plus at headstuffpodcast.com, where for as little as five euro a month, although you can gain more, you can pay more if you want, you can gain access to bonus material, not just for Fireside, but for all of the podcasts on the Headstuff Podcast Network. And those are the cells out of the way. So the story for this week. So over the last couple of months, we have been dealing with these pre-tales, these rave scale, these rave scale of the Ulster cycle, all of the stories that build up to the cattle raid of Cooley. And they've been an incredible source of 
expanding the world that this great war happens in and just further context and just further characters new and old that we get to explore but the vast majority of these Ramesh so far have been concerning Queen Maeve and have been concerning Connacht and the Munster areas uh, such as the last episode we had on these was on Flithus and the Mayo Thorn but now it, this tale is known as the Thornbo Regamna. Uh, it has been called by some as the Thornbo Morrigan. Um, but in the version I found, it was titled Cucullin Encounters the Great Queen. But it is... So first of all, we have an Ulster perspective straight away, which is fantastic. And we get to once again meet the great hero of Irish mythology, Cucullin himself, the Hound of Ulster. And it's been lovely adapting this story and being getting to spend time with Cucullin again. Because we haven't had a story about Cucullin since we did um, the story on the sickbed of Cucullin, which uh, was about the wasting sickness and the dream coma that the hound went into. Which, eerily enough, was a story that I did just before the outbreak of the pandemic. I remember going into head stuff uh, just after it broke out. And Paddy, one of the lads in Headstuff, saying uh, kind of eerie that you did a story about someone immortal falling prey to a wasting sickness as this was all going on. So that will how I'll always remember how uh, when the last time I did a story on Cucullin was. But mostly this is exciting story because it features the Morrigan. It features the Celtic goddess of battle, of war, of fate and of death. And she is always my one of my favorite characters to explore. And she always operates in a peripheral way. There are very few stories in which she is the protagonist. So it is wonderful to get to explore the relationship that is so important between these two characters. So I will talk, of course, more afterwards. Um, the only... I think the only other things to talk about before, um, just on a, a side note, is... Um, that I'm still still working away here in Dublin. Um, I'll be fairly, fairly relentless. I have about 40, between 40 and 43 uh, gigs booked for the month of June. Um, various gigs all around Dublin and particularly around the Temple Bar area. Um, and I'll be giving a lot of literary tours as well. So again, anyone who's visiting Ireland over the summer, please do let me know if you want to come and hear some Irish music or some um, to hear about Irish literature from the last 100, 150 years and hear performances of the work of Joyce and Beckett and Wilde, etc. Uh, please do let me know. It would be lovely always to meet Fireside fans. I, I love doing that and it'd be great just to have anyone along at any of the gigs. Um, but that is why, yes, my voice is permanently at this level of hoarseness. I was saying the other day I'll be talking like Tom Waits by the end of the summer with with the amount I'm doing. Uh, but it's great. It's what I wanted to do and it's great to be this busy and it's going to be a great summer. Um, but we'll chat more about everything afterwards. But this is the tale of the Morrigan and the Hound on Fireside. The Morrigan and the Hound Cucullin was asleep. 
At 17, the young lad was already known all throughout Era. Born of his mortal mother Detna, sister of the High King of Ulster, Chunkabar Macnasa, the child was named Satanta. But it was said his mother had been impregnated by the god and king of the Tua de Danan, Lu Laovada. A promising hurler, young Satanta had accidentally killed the prized hound of Cullen, kennel master of the High King. The act had been in self-defence, but nevertheless, Satanta vowed to serve as the protector of Awanmacha until Cullen could train another dog. This led to the name Cucullen, Cullen's Hound. And when the boy grew and went to train under the warrior Skatach, who gave Cucullen the deadly spear, the gay Bulga, Cucullen would become known as the Hound of all of Ulster. But on this night, Cucullen woke to the sound of screaming. So loud and shocking were the cries that the lad fell out of bed. Into his chambers came Laig, Cucullan's loyal charioteer. Did you hear those cries? Laig asked. I thought they were a dream, said Cucullan. Ready my chariot, and let us find the cause. Laig rushed to the stables and readied Liam Macha and Dove Sangland, the two prized horses of Cucullan. Laig wrangled the horses and fastened them to the glorious chariot. He then met Cucullan outside the stable, and the two rode off into the night to find the source of the screams. At Ahtaferta, the two heroes halted. They listened to hear the direction they should ride in, but slowly they began to hear the sound of wheels. It was another chariot approaching. Cucullan had his swords and spears and his trusty ashen hurley-stick at the ready. Over the hill came a strange sight. It was a chariot, blood-red and gold, pulled not by a horse, but a cow, a cow whose size made it look not of this world. The chariot held two riders, a man and a woman, both in blood-red cloaks concealing their faces. Cucullan did not know if these were friend or foe. Were they the source of the screams or the cause? That cow does not look happy to be pulling your chariot, said Cucullan to the man. It was the woman who answered, What business is my cow to you? All cattle in Ulster are my business, said Cucullan. After all, cattle were wealth, cattle were power. And besides, a cow has no business pulling a chariot. They were made for milk and beef and hide, not for the job of a horse or an ass. The woman replied, This cow does not belong to anyone who is any concern of yours. You are meddling in affairs that are far beyond your years, young Cucullum. Ah, so you know me, said the Hound of Ulster. So then, may I ask, why is it it is the woman who I am speaking to, and not the man? 
You did not address the man, said the woman. Yes, I did. But still, he does not answer. So then I will ask you, who is he? His name is Hurguiskolukerskyo, or Cold Wind and Much Rushes. That's quite a name, began Cucullin. And who are you who answers for your man? Her name is Fuibor Byugbol Quimdor Foltsken Garretskyohui. This time the man spoke. This second name meant little mouthed edge, equally small hair, short splinter, much clamour. Quite a mouthful. Cucullin began to lose his temper. Are you trying to make a fool out of me? He cried, drawing his spear. Perhaps you do not know me at all for you to play such games. At this Cucullin sprang from his own chariot and landed on the ledge of the other, aiming his spear down at the throats of the red-cloaked man and woman. The woman revealed her face. She had long raven-black hair and flawless pale skin. Her eyes fired. Do not aim sharp weapons at me, hound of Ulster, she cried. I will until you tell me your true name and business. All right, began the woman. In truth, I am a satirist, a master poet of the Phila, and this is Dara Macfiachna, greatest of the farmers of Cooley. I composed a great poem for him, and this cow is my payment. Cucullin was still suspicious. If you are a master poet, then sing me this poem. Remove your blade from my throat, and I just might. The stress and chance of blood are not very good for the art of performance. Cucullin jumped down off the chariot and lowered his spear. But still he kept his grip tight. The woman began to sing her poem. Her voice was strong and low and haunting. It was enchanting and hypnotic, to the point where Cucullin felt uncomfortable, as if he was losing control over his body and senses. And then there was the content of the poem itself, which told of an upcoming war between Ulster and the rest of Era, of two cows and blood, so much blood. Cucullin felt this woman was mocking Ulster, and even though it was against the law to attack a poet, Cucullin's youth made him reckless, and he went to charge with his spear once more. But as he did, the Hound of Ulster saw nothing. The cow, the chariot, the man and the woman had all disappeared. Cucullin looked frantically around for answers. This was not the work of mortals. The hound heard the sound of a song, a bird's song, but not the pleasant sound of the bittern or the blackbird. This was the ominous croak of the crow. Cucullin looked up to the tree and saw the bird, 
and suddenly he knew exactly who it was he was dealing with. You are Bav, the Battle Crow. I am, the Bav replied. You, you are, the boy began. I am war, I am fate, I am blood and doom, I am death, I am the Morrigan. Cucullin began to backtrack. Had I known it was you, O oh great queen, I, I would not have spoken to you as such. But you did, Hound of Ulster. You insulted me, my business, my gender. You drew your blade on a poet, drew your blade on a goddess, and this I will not forgive. But I will finally tell you the truth. The Morrigan spread her crow's wings wide and swooped down before the hound. I have brought this fairy cow from the other world to mate with Dun Kulna, the mighty brown bull of Cooley. Dara McFeekna's prize is the greatest in all of Era. But there is one who can rival him. Finvanach, the white-horned bull of Connacht, owned by Alil and Queen Maeve. My actions today will lead to the greatest and bloodiest war in this island's history. Not since the great battles of Moitara, when my people defeated the Fearbulg for control of this land, or the Formorians from whom we defended it, not even from the battle with the Milesian men who stole the lands from the gods will Era have seen such bloodshed. This war will immortalize you, Kukulum. Children will know your name on this island forever. And while the calf within this cow is a yearling, you will live. But this war, this thorn, this cattle raid of Cooley, for you, Kukulum, will mean death. The Hound of Ulster looked into the black eyes of the goddess of battle, fate, and death itself. But Cúchulain did not believe her. No one can kill me, he said. I am the blood of the Tuadedanon, just like you. I have been trained by Skatok, and I have the gay Bolga, the greatest weapon ever made. I will wipe out wave after wave of invaders. I will defend Ulster and I will win the Tawn. The Morrigan said, When you are at the ford fighting your greatest foe, who is every bit as strong, as skilled, as cunning and as fast, I will turn into an eel and I will be a noose around your neck. And I will pull your slimy body from my neck and smash you against a green stone, said Cucullin. When you fight one who is as equally untiring and resilient and fierce, I will become a grey wolf and tear the flesh from your right hand to your left. Cucullin replied, I will take my spear and jam it through your left wolf eye until it 
pops out your right socket. Finally, the Morrigan said, when you face the one who is every bit as great as you in every conceivable way, one who you will love more than wife and more than yourself, I will become a white heifer with red ears. Behind me will be a hundred more, and we will charge you and take your head. And I will take my sling and fire a stone to shatter your legs from beneath you. And not even you shall be healed unless you leave me now. The Morrigan said no more. She spread her wings once more and flew away. And Cucullan went back home in his chariot to sleep. But there would be no sleep that night for the Hound of Ulster. He had made an enemy of the Morrigan that day. An enemy of fate and death herself. But he was Cucullan. And if anyone could be death, it would be him. Let the tawn come, Cucullan said to his charioteer leg. Let it bring my immortality. To be continued. Is AI taking over? How can I be safe online? Will big tech go bust? For tech's sake, we'll answer all of these questions and more in its new series. I'm Elaine Burke. And I'm Jenny Darmody. And we're back with more experts to help you be a more informed and empowered tech user. For tech's sake is a co-production from Silicon Republic and the Headstuff Podcast Network. And there we have the tale of the Morrigan and the Hound on Fireside. And I hope you all enjoyed it. Yes, again, just so lovely to be back in the company of these two characters and to have a tale that has as much focus as this. Some of these other Ramescaler, they cover a huge amount more ground. We have a couple of locations, more characters to follow. But here we really just have two. I mean, we, of course, also have Leg the Charioteer, who has an appearance, and I expanded his role a slight amount in my version. And we have the apparition of Dara McFiechna, the farmer of Cooley, who we are led to believe was just an apparition, um, and that he wasn't there at all because he and the chariot and the cow and everything disappeared when the Morrigan assumed her true form as the battle crow. And so we just have this this dialogue, this initial combat, and mostly this dialogue between these two great characters um, who really kind of meet their match in each other. Um, well, as much as a match as it is possible for the Morrigan to have. So Cucullan has... Cucullan operates, as I've talked many times on the podcast in the past, he operates as a a stand-in for many, many different characters from other texts and cultures and mythologies and religions and everything. Um, he is he is equal parts. He has aspects of Hercules. He has aspects of Jesus Christ. He has 
um, aspects of so many other figures that he is probably intentionally over the years amalgamated with. But in this tale, I find most interesting the comparison to Achilles. Um, because the the Cavalry of Cooley is the the Iliad of of Ireland. It is our great war um, and our great text. But where Achilles and Cucullin have a lot in common, um, well, of course, first of all, you have the fact of uh, one parent being uh, a deity and one being mortal. Um, Cucullin has more in common with Heracles in that regard because Heracles was the son of Zeus by a mortal mother but Achilles was the son of um, a god, a goddess mother and a mortal father um, and who wanted Achilles to become immortal too but wasn't allowed to complete the act leaving him mortal in just his heel hence the Achilles heel but where Achilles and Cucullin have the most in common is they were both told they were going to die uh, they were both given their prophecies Achilles was encouraged by his mother not to fight at Troy uh, and it was the exact same deal it was if you fight in this war people will know your name forever but you will die young you will not survive the battle and it is an interesting aspect of ancient heroism to still march into battle to fight for immortality because it's a great it's ultimately a great recruitment tactic you know it's like how yes you're most likely going to die but people will remember you forever so that is basically being immortal whereas if you don't fight and you just live a normal happy life with a family then uh, no one will ever remember you so you might live a slightly longer life in these in these times uh, but then you will be permanently dead and so psychologically it is a very compelling argument for heroism in these very early celtic pagan times with the promise of immortality and that is naturally something we still strive for uh, in the creation of art or in the creation of sport or anything that we strive to do to make ourselves better there is just always this this looming aspect of uh, of wanting to create something that will last after us and for Cucullin it was his sword and it was death and it was blood and so Cucullin comes face to face with the Morrigan now interestingly the the Morrigan obviously had this plan to create the Thorn before because the Morrigan does like chaos and confusion and just messing with mortals she is a very vengeful goddess and a capricious goddess and doesn't operate on a, a level like the fates in in Greek mythology who are more objective and don't necessarily have as much control they just predict what has and will happen whereas the Morrigan has more of an active role and so obviously she had this plan to create the things that would lead to the Thorn. And there are many, many different stories and aspects that led to this war, many of which we have covered on Fireside in the past. Um, but interestingly, this story implies 
that Cucullin might not necessarily have died had he not insulted her in this moment, had he not. And that, um, the, the misogyny is in the text. And there's a couple of things you can say, like him him saying, why is it the woman who is answering and not me, or not the, not the man? Um, it is interesting in a couple of ways because this text it comes from a book called the the yellow the yellow book of something um which is quite quite old and naturally all of these stories are ancient and come from a very matriarchal maternal pagan society you only have to look at queen Maeve being supreme queen of connacht over her husband adil to show that so it's interesting that cucullin still asks why it's the woman who's speaking and there's that more of a a post-Christianity patriarchal kind of view on it. But in either case, I wanted to include it in the story because I wanted to increase his, Cucullin's disrespect of the Morrigan and to increase her, her fury afterwards. And that it wasn't just that he drew her blade, it was that he was insulting to her and disrespectful to her right from the moment that they met. Even though when all is said and done, he was dead right about her nefarious plans. He was right to be suspicious of her. She is trying to cause war. But still, he made a big mistake in who he he disrespected on this day. And you just imagine Cucullin would be of a particular fascination to the Morrigan as a foreteller of, of doom and of war and of battle. She came across the greatest mortal hero there had ever been. Uh, this is this is post the gods, but this is pre Fionn McCool and the Fianna and any of the later kings. Um, this is this is the guy, you know, and he will become the most arguably the most famous character of all of Irish mythology and he is to a point immortal and undefeatable and you can just imagine a a challenge and an enjoyment that the Morrigan would have at the idea of uh, besting Cúchulain and this will be the case those three forms the eel the wolf and the heifer these will be three forms that she adopts in the thorn um, before and every time Cucullin beats her and she tries to seduce Cucullin but he won't sleep with her he is loyal to his wife she tries to make him eat the flesh of a dog because after Cucullin kills Cullen's hound he um, swears to a gasa to a curse that he will never consume the flesh of a dog again and the Morrigan tries to get him to eat dogs so that he will become mortal again by breaking that blood oath. Uh, so all these ways, and she can't quite outsmart him. And of course, she finally does in the, the last moment when Cucullin finally succumbs to his wounds and ties himself up against the rock with his entrails so that he will appear to still be standing so that his enemies will not think that he is dead. It is then that the Morrigan assumes her battle crow form again and lands on his shoulder, pecking at his corpse. And only then do the enemy soldiers know that Cucullin is dead. And only then does the Morrigan finally best Cucullin. So she does at the very last moment after a huge, huge challenge. He was a huge thorn in her side. And it's lovely to explore that origin tale again 
And I hope that people who have been listening to this podcast for a long time, we might go back to when we covered those, the main parts of the thon, um at the end of the first year of Fireside. I think it's like episode 50 onwards. Um, and those new listeners who are listening to this who haven't listened to any of those, I hope we'll go back and listen to them now as well. Um, but just wonderful to be back in these companies and makes me want to explore more of these tales unfortunately i think i think this might be the last of the the tonbow tales the other tonbow tales that i can find there are about three or four more listed on the list i can find but i cannot find sources for any of the others i got lucky with this one um but and we've had a good run with them um but it might mean a new a new course of action for the mythological sections of the podcast uh, we will keep going with uh, an Irish folktale next week and another world tale the week after. But uh, in three weeks' time, it'll be interesting to see where where we go with the, the mythological section of the podcast once more. But it'll be exciting times, and I'm looking forward to it, and I hope you are as well. So I will wrap things up now. Uh, but as always, thank you so much. Uh, if you, I hope you enjoyed it. Let me know your thoughts and queries. Follow me over on Instagram, at FiresideBard. Email me at thefiresidebard at gmail.com. Buy my book, Garden Sea, A Neo-Myth of Home, in Kindle version or in paperback. Uh, support the podcast at Headstuff Plus at headstuffpodcast.com. All of the links are in the description below, as is the source for my source for this story. I'll see you all. You'll hear me all next time. And remember, wherever you are and wherever you go, you can always join me by the fireside. This show is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network, a hub for the creative and the curious. Shows are produced in association with Headstuff and the Podcast Studios Dublin. Find out more or become a member at headstuffpodcasts.com. Thank <laughs> you.